Good morning. This is the final preach of our series, Faith Over Fear. Over the last six weeks, we have looked at different characters in the Bible and how they have responded to fear, how their faith in God has enabled them to overcome adversity and do mighty things. It's been great to be reminded that in these tumultuous times that we live in at the moment, we have a God who never changes, who can be utterly depended upon and calls us to step out in faith to overcome fear. Today, as our final instalment, we're going to look at the classic story of David and Goliath. This is so well known that it's often referenced uh, when, there's a, when, when there's an apparent imbalance of power between two sides. Whether that's a sports commentator saying that this is a classic David versus Goliath encounter between the team that's bottom of the league against the team that are the champions. Or perhaps a small campaign group taking on the powers that be as characterised as being David versus Goliath. But there's so much more to the story than this. So let's, let's take a look. Um, we're not going to read through the whole story today because it's quite a long uh, chunk of, uh, of the Bible as it would, and it would take up half our time. But I'll be dipping into it frequently. So if you have your Bibles with you, if not, press pause and go and grab one uh, and turn to 1 Samuel chapter 17 and be ready to dart around this famous story with me. But before we do that, shall we pray? Lord God, uh, I pray that you would, you would be with us this morning. I pray that you would, uh, you would open our hearts and open our ears to what it is you have to say to us. I pray, Lord, use these words to remind us how amazing and how awesome you are, that you are the fear buster. You are the God who, uh, who, who, who me, who's all-powerful, all-encompassing, uh, and that we can trust you no matter what. In your mighty name, amen. So we'll start by reading from 1 Samuel 17, verses 4 to 10. And this is the entrance of Goliath. And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. That's more than nine feet. He had a helmet of bronze on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail. And the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. And he had bronze armour on his legs, and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of a spear was like a weaver's beam, and a spear's head weighed six hundred shekels of iron, and a shield-bearer went before him. He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves, and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. Fear can be a response to an immediate threat, a clear and present danger. Having a nine-foot-plus giant of a man covered in armour, issuing a call for someone to fight him in a winner-takes-it-all contest, generates fear, I think it's fair to say. The next verse says this, When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. A little further on in verse 16, it says that for 40 days, the Philistine came forward and took his stand morning and evening. When that threat poses itself day after day, 
fear becomes a long-term response to a threat that has not materialized itself yet, but there appears to be no way out. You feel powerless, worn down, deflated, and at the mercy of the source of the fear. Israel was stuck in this cycle of fear and there was no obvious way out. Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever been in that position? Maybe you have been at different points in your life. I know that I, I certainly have. But before we get into this passage and see what we can learn about how to respond to fear, I'm gonna give you the main point straight up. It's three words. Here it is. The Lord saves. The Lord saves. David said this to, to Goliath in their showdown, just after he had told him that the Lord would deliver him into his hand. In verses 46 and 47, he said that this would happen so that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves. The Lord saves. No matter how many times fear raises its ugly head, the Lord saves. This means it's not about you. It's not about you. For many years, I, I battled with, and, and still do occasionally and too often really, fears that deflated me, that robbed me of confidence and gave me a view of myself that was, that was not good, not healthy. The problem though was my outlook. I was self-focused, navel-gazing, introspective. I thought I had to manage fear myself. I was after a sort of self-righteousness where I could say to myself, I've worked this out for myself, I'm, I'm good, I'm okay. The Lord saves, achieves, achieves two things. Firstly, God makes me righteous. God gives me the righteousness of Christ because Christ died in my place, taking all of my sin, all of my shame, all of my guilt, all of my unrighteousness, including my self-righteousness, upon himself. And I am seen, God sees me through the lens of Christ as righteous. And there's nothing that I contributed in that, nothing at all that I have done to make that happen. It's all down to God. Secondly, death and the fear that goes with it is defeated. Forever, for good, finito. I've sometimes thought and occasionally heard implied that each time I mess up, each time I give in to a fear, that I put Jesus on the cross again. That is rubbish, that's a lie. Jesus died once to defeat death fully, once for all time. It says in 1 Peter 3 verse 18, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. So you are righteous because of the Lord. Be released from the effort of trying to be so and remain so. And you are free from death and any fear that goes with it. The Lord saves trumps any fear. The Lord saves. Be excited about it. Be grateful for it and be released through that truth. There's, there's loads more great stuff in this passage. And we're going to look at the response to this giant man called Goliath of some of the characters in this story. So we're gonna look at King Saul. We're gonna look at Eliab, who is David's eldest brother, and the army of Israel as a whole. So first up, Saul. He was king of Israel. He was their first king. And even though he'd started well, 
he quickly descended into a king who is more concerned at what others thought of him than in doing what God wanted, which led him to disobey God. This led to God rejecting him as king. And by the time of this encounter with Goliath, Saul is crippled with fear. It was down to him to respond to the challenge laid down by Goliath, but he has no intention of doing so. The fear exhibited by Saul runs through the whole army. There is no strategy. There is no leader. There is no thought of turning to God. Indeed, the absence of God in the narrative speaks volumes for where Saul was at. When David first hears Goliath's challenge, in contrast to Saul, he's more concerned about God's glory and honour being affected. As David says in verse 26, For who is this uncircumcised Philistine, that he should defy the armies of the living God? David is outraged that this Philistine, who knows nothing about God, should defy him. And he puts his trust immediately and instinctively in his God who is alive and in the armies that God has at his disposal. It's only when David convinces Saul to let him take on Goliath with a rousing speech full of faith that God will give him victory that Saul shows any signs of looking to God. In verse 47, Saul says to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. So how about you? When you're faced with a threat and people are looking to you to respond, what is your instinctive response? To focus on God or on the threat? To step up or hope somebody else will do it for you? How concerned are you at God's reputation being tarnished? When faced with a difficult situation, remind yourself that God is alive. Remind yourself that you are not on your own, but you have an army around you. You have the church and also the armies of the living God who surround you. The response of Elisha in 2 Kings chapter 6 to his fearful servant when they were surrounded by the Syrian army was this. Do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. As the song goes, it may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. This is how I fight my battles. Next, next person to look at, Eliab. Uh, Eliab was David's older brother. In fact, he was the eldest son of Jesse, who had eight sons. It's worth stepping back a moment to, to set this David versus Goliath encounter in context. When it became clear that Saul was not the man to lead Israel, God instructed Samuel, who was prophet and judge over Israel at the time, to anoint the next king, ready to take over from Saul when the time, when the time came. This happened privately in Bethlehem. Saul didn't know about this happening. When Samuel went there to anoint one of the sons of Jesse, Rather than anoint the eldest son, Eliab, God told Samuel to anoint the youngest son, David. And you can read about this in 1 Samuel chapter 16. Imagine how that must have felt for David's seven older brothers, but in particular for the eldest brother, who'd been overlooked for his youngest brother. 
So David, he's, he's not in the army. He's too young to be in the army. But he's been sent to the front line by his dad to take provisions for his three older brothers who are in the army on the front line. It's here that David saw and heard Goliath do his thing. It's here that David saw and heard the response of fear from the Israelites' army. We've already seen David's response of outrage in verse 26. Uh, and reading from verse 28 to 30, we, we see Eliab's response to what David was saying. So verse 28, now Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when, when he, when David, spoke to the men. And Eliab's anger was kindled against David. And he said, why have you come down? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your presumption and the evil of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. And David said, what have I done now? Was it not but a word? And he turned away from him towards another and spoke in the same way. And the people answered him again as before. Eliab has just received 10 loaves of bread from David. So you'd think he'd be in a good mood. But he doesn't respond well to David's bold words about Goliath. Eliab got angry at David. He accuses David of coming to see the battle that might see Saul killed, and David proclaimed as king in his place. But in reality, Eliab knew that his youngest brother, speaking up for God in the way that he did, in the way that he did, would make him look bad. After all, Eliab is simply blending into the crowd that is the Israelite army. He's hiding, he's scared. He's not prepared to rise up and challenge Goliath like David is. For now, Eliab has some kudos as the eldest son of Jesse. Don't forget, no one knows about David's anointing as next king except Jesse, his eight sons, and Samuel. Eliab wants to hang on to that status for as long as possible. He's not just afraid of Goliath, he's afraid of losing his status of being known as the eldest son who wasn't deemed fit to be king. When we're afraid, we often try to convey that we're not. We tend to cover up our fear to those around us. The fear of what others think can sometimes be greater than the fear itself. And there might be any number of ways that this comes out, but here Eliab tries to undermine David by inferring that he still belongs in the wilderness, on the periphery, looking after a few poultry sheep. But rather than rising to this provocation from his older brother, David turns away from him in verse 30, and instead he resumes instilling faith in those around him, reminding them, encouraging them, that they have a living God. David also embraced where he was from. What Eliab tried to use to belittle him, and with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? David embraced and added to his CV, which he presents to Saul in verses 34 to 37. David's training, ground, David's training ground was in the wilderness, protecting his father's sheep. And this was no Mary had a little lamb vocation. David fought off lion and bear. He committed himself to his role, to his responsibility. He cared. He was passionate about it, and the skills he honed, and the experience he gained, and the faith he built when on the periphery, when looking after just a few, made him ready for this moment of taking on this line, of taking on this bear, who is attacking God's people, God's flock. The shepherd of God's people, the king, was not offering any protection. David would. 
with God at the centre. In verse 37, David says, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. How about you? Are you too concerned at what people think of you? Are you aware of times that you put others down to make you look or feel better? Instead, who can you encourage? Who can you go on encouraging? Think of someone and, and start today. It's, it's not difficult to do. Think of someone and give them a text or a phone call. Look at what you've learned in your walk with God. Don't cut yourself out because you think you don't have the right experience. David had not been in the army before. He was too young to be in the army. And here, he's toppling the mighty Goliath. And for those of you who feel on the periphery right now, embrace what you're doing. Rather than be frustrated with where you're at, whatever you're doing right now to serve God, do it wholeheartedly. Commit to it. Because wherever we are now, wherever any, any of us are, is a training ground for the future. So commit yourself to that. The final character we'll look at is, is the army, the army of Israel. Before Goliath appears in the story, we read the, in the first two verses of chapter 17, we read this. Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle and they were gathered at Socher, which belongs to Judah, and encamped between Socher and Azekar in Ephes Damim. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and encamped in the valley of Elah and drew up in line of battle against the Philistines. The army of Israel was lined up, ready for battle, just like they had done before. There would have been tens of thousands of them. The Philistines were their arch enemy. They had battled each other uh, previously with both sides tasting victory. Perhaps after their recent victory over the Amalekites, uh, the Israel army was feeling quietly confident. But then the, the Philistines throw a curveball, a completely new tactic as they unveil the giant Goliath. And this paralyzes the Israelite army in fear. It'd be a bit like two non-league football teams playing each other, lining up as they had done before. A local rivalry with no love lost between them. Both sides ready for battle. And then one side unveils their new signing, Lionel Messi, signed on a free transfer from Barcelona, giant of the footballing world. Not only that, but Messi has issued a call to the opposition. Send someone to take me on, one-on-one. -on -one. And whoever scores first, that team wins. Suddenly the balance of power has shifted and fear sweeps through the opposition. There's no way they can win against Messi. This is how it must have been with the Israel army. They were awestruck at the sight of Goliath, such that in verse 24, all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were much afraid. Even a massive wind bonus offered by King Saul, great riches, his daughter's hand in marriage, and freedom for his father's house in Israel is not incentive enough for someone to step up. As with Saul and Eliab, there is no consideration of God with the army of Israel. To them all, God had become notional, small and irrelevant on the battle lines of imminent war. Goliath towered over their faith, towered over their God, exposing their lack of trust in their living God.
David's view of God was different. He had a right view of God. That he was way bigger than the nine foot plus giant. Way bigger than the Philistine army. David's God was a great big God. Taller than a, than a skyscraper and deeper than a submarine. Wider than the universe and beyond his wildest dreams. And David knew that he was alive and that he was able. Rather than be paralyzed in fear, David catapulted into action using the skills he had learned in the wilderness. And we're going to read the, the brilliant theatrical encounter between David and Goliath now uh, from verse 40 to, to 50. It's a great read. Let's, let's take a look at it. So verse 40, then, then David took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in a shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand and he approached the Philistine. And the Philistine moved forward and came near to David with his shield bearer in front of him. When the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, Come to me and I'll give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear. For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into my hand. When the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, David ran quickly towards the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the ground. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. You are part of the army of God. This is what church should be about, recognizing that we are in a battle. Maybe you've, maybe you've been quite willing to line up with your brothers and sisters in Christ, ready for battle. But the recent curveballs of coronavirus and racism have put you in a spin. You've lost a bit of your focus on God and you can't see how you or the church can be effective when we can't be church in the way that we're used to. It's been said many times that these uncertain times that we live in will be an opportunity for the church. As people ask questions about life, about faith and what they're here for as they look to the church for answers. But if our focus shifts from God, if we, are, if we are not united as a church family, as an army of God, then we are not ready for such people. For me, I'm, I'm afraid that I've been losing something of that fire for revival, that strength of desire to see the lost saved and to do what it takes to play my part. It's been a difficult summer for us. The last month or two, some things have happened that have been, have been hard to deal with. And the danger with difficult times is that it can also open up and make you vulnerable to some, some old wounds, 
and old fears, and I, I felt a bit of that as well. So at the end of the summer, rather than feeling refreshed right now, I, I, I feel a bit tired and I feel a bit flat, in all honesty. Now I can use that as an excuse to hide. And I think I've done a bit, a bit, a bit of hiding in the last month or two, to be fair. Or I can put my trust in my living God and declare that the Lord saves. That is what he's about. And revival is what he longs to bring. And what he's looking for is a people, is a church, earnest in their desire for this, pursuing purity of heart with a longing for more and more of him. Come back to what you know, that God is alive, that God surrounds you with his heavenly armies, that it is God who saves. You may be familiar with the armour of God that Paul writes about in his letter to the Ephesians in the New Testament. Take a look at it later on today. It's in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 17. He describes the breastplate of righteousness covering our heart, the helmet of salvation protecting our mind with the knowledge that we are saved, and the shield of faith to protect us and to extinguish the arrows of the evil one. If you don't lift that shield up, if you don't respond in faith to temptation, to threat, to fear, then those things will attack the righteousness that is ours, the salvation that is ours, the truth that is ours, and will paralyze us into not stepping forward in sharing the gospel and advancing the kingdom. They will attempt to undermine, erode and distort that which has been won for us. The Lord saves. Here is your armor. Put it on. And as you overcome fear with faith, defending yourself with our shield, you can use the sword of the Spirit to full effect. Faith that overcomes fear results in taking ground for God's kingdom. If you're able to, do you want to stand or change your body position uh, just, to, just to focus on God again now, just to be ready to receive to him and respond to him. As we go into this, into this next term ahead, there's uncertainty how things will pan out. We're unsure what church will look and feel like perhaps, but we want you to be ready, lined up for battle with the armor of God on you, full of faith to rise up, step up and serve God. So three, three, three takeaways for you. The Lord saves, the Lord saves. Express your thanks and your gratitude again for the righteousness that is ours in Christ. That death is defeated, that we are free in Christ Jesus. Whatever fears you may be grappling with right now, or whether it's simply the busyness of life that gets in the way, Open your eyes, focus your gaze on the God who is alive, on the God who surrounds you with his armies, on the God who protects you, who is calling out to you to put on his armour. Shift your gaze onto the God who is alive. And consider, consider how you can rise up and step out 
What does that look like? What could that look like for you? Whatever it is, and wherever you feel you are right now, commit yourself to it. Be wholehearted. Be passionate in your serving God. And know that as you do so, the Lord will, bring, will use you to bring others to him. Because it's not about you. We look to God and say that you alone can rescue, you alone can save. So we pray. Lord God, we, we pray that prayer, that we acknowledge that and celebrate that you alone can rescue, you alone can save. You've saved us, you've rescued us from the grave, you've rescued us from, from the pit. And Lord, I, we want to lift our voices in thanks to you again this morning. We want to lift our voices in, in thanks that, that you are the God who saves and we are evidence of that. We are, we are, we are your kingdom on, on earth. Lord, I pray, would you, give us, would you give us courage to lift up that shield of faith uh, to, to protect ourselves from, from the arrows of the evil one? Would you, would you give us the strength to lift up that shield of faith uh, to protect the righteousness that is ours in Christ, to, to protect the, the knowledge of the salvation that is ours because of what Jesus did on the cross? And Lord, may we step out for you. May we, may we bring the gospel to others and may we, may we wield the sword of the Spirit confident that, that you cover us, confident that your armies are there surrounding us, confident that the battle is yours. Because even if it looks like we're surrounded, we are surrounded by you. Thank you for that truth, Lord. Spirit, would you bless us as we go into this week ahead. In your wonderful, mighty name. Amen.